Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Patrick Salmon, who's the Associate Director of Recruitment at Johns Hopkins University. Pat, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yourself? I am doing well, and it's an honor and pleasure to have you. So let me ask you to give us a brief introduction about yourself. How long have you been in admissions, and how did you end up in such a position? Sure. So I've uh, worked in education since I graduated colleges at uh, all different levels. Uh, starting out, I was a, a middle school teacher. I've taught in high school. Uh, and I ended up kind of just like many people falling kind of into the admissions world. I worked in graduate admissions to start at uh, the Keller School of Management at Northwestern University and then uh, migrated over to the undergraduate side here at Hopkins. And I've been at Hopkins for the last 10 years. Well, we appreciate that introduction, Pat. Thank you so much. And Johns Hopkins University is well known for so many things, including its interdisciplinary offerings, research opportunities, and of course, its world-renowned STEM programs. What can you tell us about what students can expect in terms of their academic experience if they attend Johns Hopkins University? Sure. I think, you know, one thing to know about us, is we were the first research university in the United States. So the modern research university was born right here in Baltimore at Hopkins. And for our students, that continues. What we want for our students is the opportunity to kind of take classroom learning and have hands-on experiences, combine those two pieces. For our students in the classroom, uh, as you mentioned, it's an interdisciplinary experience. We want students to have a lot of flexibility in the curriculum. We want them to take classes in different areas. So we don't have kind of a set curriculum for our students, but we want them to take things across different areas. It's a little bit of a liberal arts philosophy for us. And so students, while they're here, will take classes in kind of the big areas. They'll take some humanities, social science, natural science, and quantitative or engineering focused courses. But they'll pick 
the courses that mean the most to them. There's not a specific course they have to take. They just pick some from the different categories. And then they combine that, most of them, with the opportunities to have hands-on learning. About 80% of our students do research during their four years at undergrad. Another 80% do internships. And so students are taking that classroom learning and applying it. Classrooms, small. Average class size, about 24 students. Uh, about 70% of them are actually smaller than that. So most of your classes will be about 20 or less uh, in terms of how many peers you'll have. Get to know the faculty really well. We have a seven to one faculty ratio. So students get that experience of working with these world-class faculty, not just attending a lecture, but actually getting to know them as someone who they're having conversations with in and beyond the classroom. And so students really kind of value all these different opportunities and the opportunity, especially to work with those faculty on research. Well, we really appreciate that overview, Pat. And what else can you share about the student experience at Johns Hopkins University, perhaps outside the classroom, that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, I think one of the great things about Hopkins is we're, we're a nice size. We're a, kind of a sweet spot. We've got 5,300 undergrads on our campus. Um, Hopkins itself is a very large institution. So it spreads out across Baltimore into Washington, D.C., Maryland, uh, a couple international campuses. But Homewood is where our students are. Uh, Homewood is located uh, pretty much, if you looked at a map of Baltimore, kind of right in the middle. It's a very traditional campus, green grass, red brick buildings. Uh, it's a pedestrian campus, so students can kind of walk through it, and you'll see them out on the quads. So it's a lively kind of campus life. And then they also have the city of Baltimore right at their fingertips. It's a pretty active place. We have 400 student-run organizations, which is a large number for a school our size. Um, students are doing everything from working in the arts, so they're in uh, you know, music groups, theater. Acapella is very popular at Hopkins. We have 13 different acapella groups. Um, students are engaged in interests around kind of the things that they like to do for fun. They're different hobbies. So, um, you know, we have like a baking club, we have movie groups, we have book clubs, all those types of things that students want to do for fun. The outdoors club is really popular. Uh, students engage in service. About 60 groups do service and they focus primarily on the city of Baltimore. There's professional organizations. About a third of our students are in fraternities and sororities. Um, one of the things that really, though, when you talk to the students, it's kind of nice uh, for our students is everybody's very supportive of the things you get involved in. So your friends aren't defined by your major. They're not defined by the one club you're in, but students will, you know, attend the acapella sessions. They'll go to the athletics events because their friends are in those groups. And so you'll see a lot of support amongst our students. And so I think that makes for a really great experience for our students. Well, we really appreciate that overview, Pat. Thank you so much. And let's get to the admissions process at JHU. So, Pat, can you walk us through the overall admissions process? Many students and their parents want to know what happens once they hit submit. So any insight that you can share, such as whether you evaluate by high school, region, or even intended major, and anything else that you'd like to include would be greatly appreciated. Um, in terms of kind of how the process works, when uh, for us, we wait kind of until the deadline. So students can submit at any point. There's no advantage submitting first day versus on the deadline day. From our end, I would encourage you to apply before the deadline day for many reasons, but um, most of which you don't want to run into like technical issues and things of that nature. Um, 
But from our end, we wait until we have all the files. We want to make sure that we're looking at them together. When we're considering students, we're considering them as a member of our class. We're thinking about you in the future. So who will you be when you come to campus? What are the things you'll get involved in? How will you succeed academically? And as we go through the file, that's kind of our mindset. Um, every file is read uh, by multiple people. So we, we read kind of in pairs to kind of go through the file. So there's multiple kind of eyes on it before it goes to a committee process where the admissions committee kind of makes those final decisions at that point. Um, in terms of kind of how we read, we assign all of our high schools kind of by region. So everybody, we have about 24 people in our office that are admissions officers. They all have a region. It's a part of the world. Um, and we do that so that our staff can kind of get to know particular schools. So when they come to the committee process and they're presenting, they understand the nuances. They understand how a school approaches different aspects like grading, curriculum. Um, they understand what the opportunities are in the area where a student is. And so they can kind of help us understand that along with information that's provided in the application as we look through and see the secondary school report and kind of school profiles that help us really understand it kind of in depth. They start to help us orient around the culture so we can go through it that way. So as we admit uh, at Hopkins, when students come in, they come in um, undecided, essentially. So you decide your major once you're here. Uh, so when we're reviewing, we're really just thinking about students for the class. Our only exception to that is biomedical engineering. Um, students are, if they want to study that major, they do have to apply for it on the front end. And so we'll consider them for that major first. And then after that, if we don't admit them into that, into the university as a whole. Well, we appreciate that overview, Pat. Thank you so much. And I was curious, with the increase in schools going test optional, there has been a significant increase in the number of applications that institutions receive. So as admissions professionals, how do you determine the number of applicants to accept, waitlist, and even deny when you receive far more applications from deserving candidates than your seats available? So the first thing to know, and this is every school, right? We are all guided by one number above all else, and that is how many students we can bring into the class. Um, so for Hopkins, it is 1,300 students a year is what our, our number is. That's how many students we can house. That is kind of what determines that number. And so we uh, start with that. And so as we kind of think about how do we go through this process, we have that number in mind and we're thinking about how many students are we going to admit, how many will enroll from the number we admit. And that kind of drives this whole process. In terms of the test optional piece, you know, testing um, is something that gives you a piece of information, but we have lots of information about students academically. We're looking, you know, primarily when, you know, when everybody was required to have testing and now our process hasn't really changed. You know, we spend more time, much more time considering what a student has done during their four years, what classes they've taken, how have they challenged themselves, how have they done well uh, in those classes, because that's ultimately something that really helps us understand how well they'll do in the future. And that's what we're thinking of them in the future, them coming to a rigorous place like Hopkins and trying to understand that. So. Testing was another way to gain some information. It still is where we have it. And if we have it, we'll look at it and it will kind of go into that same kind of pile of understanding somebody's ability. Once we get past their ability, then we have to think about why are we admitting students? Many students, like you said, are qualified in terms of especially as we think about can they come here and can they be successful academically? You know, we have about 38,000 applications a year and the vast majority 
are students who academically look very strong. So we could say, hey, this is somebody who looks strong. So as we think about students and we think about them as members of an academic community, we move past the grades kind of fairly early on. When we look at students, they have strong grades. We've seen they've taken the rigor. They have a test score and it's strong. That gives us another indication that they're going to be okay to be successful in that kind of sphere. But we want to understand who they are. What do they look like as a student? And so we turn to the application itself, and that helps us start to see more about them. Um, you know, one of the ways that we really kind of determine who do we think is going to be successful is we start to turn to the teachers. They give us two teacher recommendations, students that are applying, and we're going to look to see what their teachers are saying. How are they talking about them? What are they like as a member of the academic community they're in? How are they contributing to the classroom? Are they getting excited about things that go beyond the classroom? So a student bringing in articles, a student staying after to have a conversation. We start to learn more about them so we can say, this is not just somebody who's going to be successful, but this is somebody who's going to contribute to the community. Counselors, same thing. They're going to give us a little bit of a bigger picture. A teacher's going to give us that snapshot in the class. Counselors going to help us see that over the long haul. What's it like over a couple of years? So we can start to dig in. Same thing is going to happen as we look at their essays. If they choose to talk about academics, they don't have to, but if they do, that's another place where we may learn some more about them as a student, more about them academically. And then when we're admitting, we're not just admitting based on their academic contributions. We're thinking about them as a member of the community. Um, one thing I often tell students uh, when we're discussing this is, you know, as we think about you, we want you to come and we want you to be engaged beyond just the classroom. And the reason we want that is for many different pieces, right? There's things that are difficult to teach directly in a classroom setting. We can teach chemistry. You can teach, you know, English literature. You can teach history. It's tough to teach teamwork. It's tough to teach negotiation with different viewpoints. It's tough to teach leadership skills. It's tough to teach conflict resolution. But as students get involved and they get engaged, they start to have those experiences. They learn how to navigate those soft skills that it, professionals come and say, this is who we're looking for. This is what we want for our future employees. And so they're able to get that with the resources here beyond the classroom. And so we're looking at those pieces of the application to say, who will they be as a member of this community? How will they make an impact? You know, What will they look like in the academic sphere? And what will they also look like out of it? So test scores are a piece of that. But there's so much more as we think about than just kind of that one or two days that if somebody sat in a room and took a test. Well, there's definitely so much more. And Pat, that was a tremendous overview. Thank you so much for the insight. And I know that Johns Hopkins University, like many other schools, is on the Common App, which asks the same questions regardless of which school you are applying to. However, many schools, including JHU, add supplemental questions to gain more insight into the student. How many supplemental questions does JHU have, and what are you trying to learn from potential students based on their responses to these supplemental questions? Sure. So we have, um, you know, we have one formal supplemental essay. We have some other questions just about kind of your personal background that's in that. Um, but really, the what we focus on, especially at the app portion, is really just that one essay. And you know, we've changed that essay over the years and we will continue to kind of evolve it as we see fit. Um, you know, in the past, in the pre-pandemic days, we had a question that very much was about, you know, what is your contribution to a community look like, essentially? And recognizing that that was going to be difficult for students that were applying during those years where they were, you know, 
at home learning virtually potentially uh you know not able to participate in activities that didn't seem like the right fit um so now our question is a little bit more to ask students to think about kind of what do they hope to gain out of the next couple of years what is it from their experience that they hope to kind of continue with into college and what we're always looking for from these is just a different perspective on the student. As you mentioned, they have their common app question. They can choose what to write about. It. And for that, we learn generally a lot about who they are as a person, something that really matters to them. Uh, might be an activity. It might be their personal background. It might be an experience they had. It's usually something kind of bigger, a little more largely biographical. And so we're asking in this supplemental question to give us a little bit more about you at a ground level a little bit more of like, who are you and what really drives you and pushes you so that we can think about you again in the future. I'm all, I, I harp on this, that our job is, is always to think about the future. And one of the things that one of my colleagues says, um, and uh, you know, I've heard other people say this is, you know, our, our job as a college admissions office is not to reward you for the past. It's to think about your potential in the future within our community. And so this is another chance for us to learn about you and consider who you'll be in that future by asking you directly. For students, I know this is hard, right? These are hard questions because you don't, you go through most of your life before and after this experience and nobody asks you to really write about yourself much. Now you might, you might write a memoir, you might write something about yourself, <laughs> but nobody's going to sit down really in your life too much and ask you, hey, write an essay about yourself, write an essay about something that's important to you. And so for students, this is an opportunity to really reflect on it. What we hope you know, partially uh, is that students, when they approach our essay, is they think about why they actually want to be at a place like Hopkins. Our question doesn't ask you specifically about Hopkins. It just asks you about kind of your college experience. But we want students to reflect on what they hope to gain from that and why they think Hopkins might be a good match. And that's kind of what we want them to do is think about why is Hopkins a good match for you, a good place for you. And we're doing the same thing on our side. Why is the student a good match for our community, our resources, our opportunities? I want to welcome back Sean Patel, who is the founder and CEO of Prep Expert. He's a Shark Tank entrepreneur making a deal with Mark Cuban back in 2016. Sean, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, John. So I just wanted to share with all your listeners real quick that we have an amazing partnership with the College Admissions Process Podcast, and we have a really special offer for all of your listeners. So for any listener who wants to enroll their student into one of our prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one -on -one tutoring programs, you can get 30% off just for being a listener of the College Admissions Process Podcast. All you need to do is put in the promo code College Talk, one word, just College Talk, and that'll give you 30% off all Prep Expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one on one tutoring packages. Make sure you use the link in the show notes of the College Admissions Process Podcast. Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, as an affiliate partner with Prep Expert, I want to be transparent with you that for every purchase made, the College Admissions Process Podcast will receive a small commission from Prep Expert. But rest assured that we only promote programs that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. For more information, please see the Prep Expert affiliate partnership link in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the show. 
Well, I think that's a great answer, and it talks to the point that the application has multiple pieces to it, and each piece has to build on the next. Obviously, the transcript, it gives you a GPA, for example, and the rigor of the coursework over four years. If you choose to submit tests, that gives you yet another number in terms of how you do academically. But the essay has to give insight to who the student is. And I'm glad you mentioned the supplemental because it's asking the student, what do they hope to gain and how do they see themselves as a match at Hopkins? So again, students, it's very important to build upon each piece of the overall application. So again, Pat, we appreciate that insight. And I was curious, do you use the student's high school GPA as indicated on their transcript, or do you recalculate the GPA using your own metrics? And if so, what are you looking for from a student's academic record, and how do you evaluate it? Sure. So for the purposes of our admissions process, we don't recalculate. We're just looking at the GPA as it comes in from the school. And every school is going to do that a little bit differently. Um, And so for us, the number actually doesn't matter that much because really what we spend our time in is actually just looking at the classes and seeing what grades students received in classes. Because when, not that we have a lot of time, but we have plenty of time to kind of say, this is who the student really is academically. And GPA, you know, different things can happen that can impact the GPA. There's life events that happen to students. There's, you know, maybe you didn't do as well in one class early on. And it's as telling to me as what your overall performance looked like in the specific classes. So when we review an application, we're going to look pretty closely and just go class by class and grade by grade and say, these are the classes they've taken. These are the grades they've received. We're going to look at that in comparison to what's available, right? We're going to look at the school profile and the school profile is going to say, these are the classes we offer. And so as we think about a student, we're thinking, have they taken those more challenging classes that were available to them? Doesn't mean every single class has to be the the hardest class that they could possibly take. But we generally are trying to understand, did you challenge yourself and did you do well? Helps us think about the future and say, you know, Hopkins is challenging. I know it is. It's a challenging place. We push our students, our professors, you know, demand from our students that they work hard and that they do well within that. And so for us, as an admissions professional, what we're thinking about is when the student comes in, will they be able to do that? Easiest way to predict the future in that way is to look at the past and say, look, they took these challenging courses. They did well. And so we can feel confident about that and kind of move forward. GPA can't convey all that. So it's easier to just actually look at the transcript closely and say, this is what happened and kind of move forward. Well, that's great insight. Thank you so much, Pat. And I know that JHU is currently test optional, like many other schools across the country. Pat, can you share the percentage of students that applied and that were ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores? It's about um, half and half um, during the the pandemic years. I think the number will change as we kind of come out of that. And I think there'll be more testing. Um, A lot of that has to do with availability of testing, frankly. There's a lot of places, um, especially for our international students, weren't able to test. And so the numbers kind of reflect that there wasn't as many testing available. Um, Our admit kind of looked the same. It's pretty close between the two. So what we saw in the pool and what we saw ultimately coming out uh, was close to about half and half. Well, we appreciate that. And Pat, is it common for a student who doesn't submit an ACT or SAT score to submit other scores such as advanced placement or IB? 
Yeah, we'll see that. I mean, it's not required. Um, you know, the the challenge sometimes with the AP scores and the IB scores is you might not have taken those tests yet. So certainly the students that take them, you know, before senior year, we can see those tests for the students that are taking them in senior year. We don't have them ever. Um, and so we will see that, you know, and if a student has a, a good score, you know, certainly submit it. Uh, I have a, a friend at Emory, Tim Fields, uh, and Tim's answer to questions around things like this is you submit two things to college, you submit the things that are required and you submit the things that make you look good. So that's kind of a good mentality for that, I think. Well, that's great. And we had Tim Fields on the uh, podcast as well. I know him uh, extremely well. Yeah, Tim's great. Yep. Thank you so much. And Pat, what are your thoughts on the future of schools being test optional? I will say, you know, we're committed to being test optional through 2026. One of the parts of this change that we've been going through is trying to understand over the long haul what it, the impact is, right? We are admitting students without testing. In the past, we didn't do that. So we're going to see what that looks like. Are students still being successful? What did the test, what was the information that it gave us? And I think many schools are taking the same approach. And so trying to understand the impact of having testing or not having testing uh, will help us to kind of determine what is the best path forward. So we, I don't have a crystal ball to say what it's going to be. Um, <laughs> I think many schools uh, may choose to stay test optional as we go forward. Um, but I think, you know, once we have a few years and we can kind of see how the students are performing, that'll help us make the decisions a little more clearly. Understood. And Pat, if possible, visiting campus is important for the students to get a feeling of the school and, of course, the surrounding area. So if a student is able to come to campus, what are some of the questions they should be asking to help them determine if JHU is the right fit for them? Sure. Um, you know, we definitely welcome students to campus. We have actually have a big junior visit day right now. So there's a couple hundred kids on campus this morning <laughs> and a couple hundred more coming this afternoon. Um, so we love when students come to visit. I think, you know, if you're able to visit a school that you're interested in, it's a great opportunity to get the feel the campus right and that's kind of vague but when you come here you'll kind of say this feels okay it feels right but you do want to ask questions and you do want to know those things um, you're going to interact with a few kinds of different people as you come to campus and so it's important to keep in mind who's the right person to ask for the right question so you will in all likelihood come and meet somebody who has a job similar to mine somebody who is an admissions officer and i know a lot about the school I know a lot about many things in the school, the different academic opportunities, some of the different clubs, the different things students get involved in, the city of Baltimore, the way that the university interacts with that. I know professors, I know staff, I know all these different things. What I don't know is what it's like to live in one of our residence halls. And I'm not eating you know, meals with students during the day, and I'm not studying for tests, and I'm not <laughs> you know, going out on the weekends with them, and I'm not participating in the clubs. And so you're also going to interact with students. And so you want to kind of get two things. You want to kind of get the big factual information from somebody like me. Do you have the major I'm studying in? I'm interested in, you know, getting involved in this type of club, or I'm interested in doing research or internships. I'm interested in what is it like to have different interests on a college campus? I can answer a lot of those questions. But when you talk to students, you want to ask them the experience. What is it like to be here? Because for me to say, hey, this is interdisciplinary, and a lot of our students are going to study 
across different curriculum, right? We have about two thirds of our students are either double majors or they major and they carry minors. And so they're studying multiple different things. And that's a, an interesting stat and a good stat. And it helps you understand like what the flexibility allows our students to do. But what it doesn't tell you is what's that actually look like? What is it like to go through that process? How hard is it? How does it feel? Did you like doing it? Why did you do it? And so when you come to campus and you're determining fit, a lot of it is understanding what is it look like to be a student. And so to get that answer, talk to the students. You'll have tour guides. We do um, our sessions paired between an admissions officer and a student when they're here on campus. Um, there's many ways to get in touch with students. Uh, you know, we have social media is very easy. There is, you know, we have like an inbox that students answer that we don't monitor that the students just kind of deal with. But ask the students as much as possible. Know that they don't know different majors. They don't know, you know, the different opportunities. If they're not a part of it, they don't understand like, you know, we have this support structure. Or we have this uh, thing in place to help students. If they're not a part of that, they might not know that. And I can answer those things, but get the experience from them. Well, that's great advice and tremendous insight in terms of the types of questions you should be asking students that are on the campus, not only the tour guide, by the way, but any random student that you see on campus is just fine. So thank yeah. you so much for that, Pat. We appreciate it. Definitely. And Pat, what percentage of your students are from out of state? And does the application process differ for in-state and out-of-state students? Uh, so I actually don't know the number that are out of state. So I can give you that our, our four <laughs> largest areas that students come from, actually, Maryland is fourth of the four. Um, it's New York, New Jersey, California, and Maryland is where the the four top senders kind of come from. But most of our students are not going to be from Maryland. Uh, the vast, vast majority will be from somewhere else outside of the state. Um, we're a private institution, so there's no application difference for in-state or out-of-state. There's no preference for in-state or out-of-state from us. We just admit the best students that we have. Um, we obviously have more students that apply from Maryland because it's in the backyard and they kind of, you know, <laughs> have a long history here and there's lots of connections to the university, but um, nothing from our end that, that really pushes us in that way. Well, we appreciate that. Thanks so much. And what are some examples of college essays that left an impression on you and what advice would you share with prospective students in terms of what to think about as they sit down getting ready to write their college essays? Sure. So in terms of examples, so we have a good resource on our website. It's called Essays That Worked. If a student wants to see some examples of essays, we uh, pick some essays every year, give a little write-up from somebody on the admissions committee and say, this is why this was an effective essay. Um, what ultimately matters in an essay, though, is not the topic. It's the content. Um, the essays over time that have left an impression on me are ones where I learned characteristics of a student. Um, there's one, this is a few years back now, but there was one where a student wrote about, uh, they were, they kept plants at their house. They kept uh, uh, carnivorous plants. So pitcher plants, Venus flytraps, those types of things. And I liked an essay. Our director of recruitment did not like the essay. Um, <laughs> it was like, I, you know, didn't care for it. It wasn't his thing. I liked it, whatever. Different of opinions on, you know, the enjoyment of the essay. But that wasn't actually the important thing. 
was we learned all about a student and we saw them kind of dig into an interest that they really had. We saw them connect with a community through the uh, through that kind of lens and, and meet other people. We saw them share their interest with people who had never heard of it. And so all of those things, all of those pieces that came out were important to both of us, even though I liked the topic of the essay, he didn't. And so as we go through essays, that's kind of always the important thing. Um, you know, we've read, I've read, I don't know, tens of thousands of essays at this point in my career. And there's very few I can kind of remember piece by piece. But as I'm going through this process right now, I'm part of the, the committee process and helping to make decisions. And I'm looking at these essays every day and I'm trying to understand more about the person on the other side. This is an obviously a, a two-dimensional relationship. We don't get to see who everybody is through a process where we get to know them and all those things. But the more I can see about who they are, the better it is. So as students approach this, that's the idea, is tell me about yourself. Tell me something I can't see anywhere else. Some students will do this in a way that I think is oftentimes effective, is through an experience they had and then breaking down who they are from that. And so that might be, you know, a, a life event. It might be something mundane. I've, you know, we read a lot about students uh, talk about like cooking and they'll kind of tell a story through cooking and that can work sometimes if they do it effectively. Students who talk about events like a club activity, a sport, something like that, but they're really kind of breaking down who they are over time, not just in that one moment, but how they kind of grew to that moment. Those things can really help us learn about it. So as students think about it, they want to make sure they're telling us who they are, not telling us about somebody else, not going just at the surface level or recounting their kind of resume, but really kind of digging down into the characteristics that they are proud about of themselves. Um, I'll, I'll give my shameless plug. We have uh, many workshops that are focused on students essays. They're not specifically about Hopkins, except for our supplemental one, which is. Um, but if you want to come and see how to write an essay, like I, we have virtual sessions, do them a couple times a month um, with that as an option. We also um, have that website that says essays that work. So please come and we'll kind of talk through it in a little more depth and you can see what that looks like. Well, those are great examples and great advice. And Pat, I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admissions in the show notes. Obviously, in this case, it's going to be Johns Hopkins University. I also want to include Essays That Work, which is what you mentioned from your website. If there's anything else that you want me to link, please provide it to me. And of course, I'll make it available to the students and their parents. Sure. So Pat, the teacher's letter of recommendation is obviously another part of the overall application. What are you looking for when reading a teacher's letter of recommendation? So the teacher can really help us see who you are in the classroom. And that's the biggest thing. That's what we can't see from a grade. That's what we can't kind of get anywhere else. And so they're giving us that ground level view. They're telling us this is what it's like when a student worked by themselves. This is what it's like when they worked with a peer. This is a project maybe they got really excited about. This is something they came to me to discuss after class. This is how they helped somebody else. This is what they were like in lab. And they kind of help us see who are you going to be as a person in a community of learners. And so that's what we're trying to gain from that. For a teacher, the number one thing I tell them is I trust your experience, your history. You don't have to tell me all the things about yourself or your class. Dive in. Tell me about the student. As students think about who are the right teachers, 
to ask. For Hopkins, you get two uh, two letters of recommendation from teachers. One, certainly pick that teacher that you're like, this is my favorite class. I'm great at it. It's awesome. You know, that teacher really likes me. That's a good one. And they're going to give us one perspective on you as that really strong student. The second one I always encourage, think about a teacher who you really had to work for the grade, where it didn't come natural. It wasn't your strongest subject. It wasn't a thing that you really kind of could just go at and do well, because that teacher is going to give us a very different perspective. They're going to tell us what it's like when you faced a challenge. How did you overcome it? What did you do when things weren't coming naturally to you? And that's important because you're going to face challenges in college. There's going to be times where the class is hard. There's going to be times where the assignment is difficult. How did you go about doing that? How did you succeed in that space? So as students think about it, if they can think about that teacher that can really speak to that, that will help us gain that insight. Caveat being that we would encourage students to pick teachers from their 11th or 12th grade years. And the reason being is just uh, twofold. One, those teachers know you more as who you are now. You, students can think about themselves as freshmen, and they can think about themselves as juniors and seniors and say, you know, maybe I changed a little bit. Maybe I am a little bit of a different person <laughs> than I was when I was 14. The other reason is those teachers generally are going to have taught you in some of the more challenging classes that you're going to take in high school. And so they can really talk to how you performed within that rigor. And so you know, think about those kind of different components as you go forth and, and ask. Ask with plenty of time. Uh, the other advice as a former teacher I will give you is it's always nice to give your teacher a little thank you note. Uh, I would say after you ask, you know, wait a couple of weeks, hand them a thank you note. And this is going to do two <laughs> things. Uh, one, uh, it's just they're going to appreciate it. Right. Teachers are you're, they do a lot. This is on the side of kind of their main tasks of their job of teaching, grading and all those pieces. Uh, the other thing is they haven't written that letter yet, and this will remind them, and they're going to say, hey, that's a really gracious student, and then you know that'll be on their mind as they sit down to write. Well, those are great pieces of advice, and again, it talks to making sure that each part of the application builds upon the next. So it's very important, students, to select a teacher to write the letter of recommendation that could add to your overall application, whether it's work that you did in their classroom Perhaps you were working with them as part of a club, some type of humanitarian effort, whatever it is that they can help you in terms of enhancing that overall application. That's really what you're looking to do. So, Pat, we really appreciate that. And this has been a tremendous conversation. Unfortunately, it leads us to the last question, Pat, which is what are your top three pieces of advice you would provide a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? So, First piece of advice and biggest piece of advice is as you approach this process, to the extent that you can, ignore college rankings. I say this as somebody who greatly benefits from college rankings. I know we're <laughs> ranked pretty high. But the reason is, you know, that's not a great way to think about is this the right place for me? You know, there's there's many schools that are really, really strong schools that one might be ranked higher than another that just don't have a lot in common. You know, we we are a very specific type of university that offers things that other schools may also offer, but we're in a location that makes sense for some students and might not for others. And the ranking isn't going to help you do that. So think really about what do you hope to gain from your college experience? Don't worry about the ranking. Say, what do I want? What are the opportunities I'm looking for? What is the major? What does the social scene look like? What is the location I'm looking for? Ignore the rankings as much as you can. Second piece of advice, especially for parents is let the students drive this process. Support them, 
help them, give them kind of the guardrails, but let them go about it. Have space to have discussions about it. Don't make it the only thing in their life, but make it a part of some of the things you're doing as you go through high school, especially as you get closer and closer to this. But let them take the keys. Just like you're letting them learn how to drive, this is the same place to start to make those decisions so that when they get there, they're happier. They are you know, comfortable with the decision they made and they feel good about that. And you can kind of support them with that. Now you have to give them the guardrails. Like I said, you have to consider all the things that make a good match because your your son or daughter is going to think about this and say, this is the right place for me because, you know, it felt right when I was there and they offered the major and I, I talked to these students, but they're not thinking about the finances. They're not thinking about some of the other things that, you know, might impact you given kind of your particular circumstances. So you want to make sure you're having those conversations with them while you let them kind of lead this process as much as possible. The last thing that I would say is start early. You know, you will know the pieces of this application process, like essays very early on, you'll be able to do this in the summertime, you have some gaps. When you sit down to write your essays, when you sit down to kind of go through those pieces, you don't want to be doing that last minute. You don't want to rush it because by the time November comes, if you're applying in one of the early rounds or the time that January comes when you're applying in the regular rounds or the early decision two rounds, you're going to have many, many other things going on that's going to complicate the time that you have to work on this. You're going to have projects, you're going to have activities, you're going to have the holiday season, all those things kind of coming together around those deadlines. And so you can start earlier, work on it slowly write a draft, say, that's not it. I don't feel good about it. Scrap it, start over. So take the time to get some of that work in earlier on in the summertime, before you hit senior year, start writing your essays, start thinking about who you want to ask for your recommendations. If you haven't already done so and give yourself the space to kind of breathe with that. As you think also about where is the right match, where are the right places for me to go? The place where I can see myself in the future. Well, Pat, thank you so much. Those are tremendous pieces of advice and great insight. Johns Hopkins University is obviously so lucky to have you, as were we during today's episode. I'm so happy, as I know that this is going to help so many students and their parents. I really hope to have you again. Thank you so much, Pat. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And happy to happy to be on. And certainly, you know, think about Hopkins for all your college needs, but reach <laughs> out to us, ask us questions. You know, admissions offices everywhere, always happy to talk to prospective students. So please don't ever hesitate if you have a question to come to our office and ask us, you know, the things that you want to know more about. Well, you're awesome, Pat. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, 
we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.